This is Peter Franson from spiritblade.net. I'm thrilled to share with you this unique look into the origins of the Spiritblade audio drama trilogy. For more information about these cinematically produced full cast audio dramas, visit spiritblade.net. And right now, prepare to dive into this enhanced audiobook experience as we present Spiritblade, a novel by Peter Franson. Part 4 Neon mist lifted from Vincent's arm where the demon had grazed him. Do you hear that, demon? You're running out of time. I don't need much more, boy. Vince brought up his blade to deflect the second blow and did his best to ignore the illuminant mist curling up from his wound. You mortals are so fragile on this plane. A few well-placed strikes and you lose your cohesion. You'll be seeing Isaiah again sooner than you thought, I'll wager. The demon spun quickly and again two blades chimed on impact. Vincent knew he was right. To lose spiritual cohesion here meant instant passage to the afterlife, and he was already starting to come apart. Too many cuts like the one he had would finish him off completely. In a manner of speaking, he would bleed to death. The demons standing outside of their circle began chanting their champion's name. Thapto, Thapto, Thapto. Thapto? Vincent cracked a smile. Your name is Thapto? As in the celebration of funeral rites? Yes, mortal, and soon I will bury you. He lunged with his blade, only to have it deflected by Vincent's upward swipe. Well, yeah, I get that part, Vincent said evenly. But don't you think it's a little contrived? Unnoticed by the distracted demon, the handle of Vincent's blade began to glow softly underneath his hands. I mean, why not just skip straight to Necron or something? Or did you get the short straw when you picked out new names for yourselves? Words will not save you, boy, any more than they saved Isaiah. The demon slashed again, this time slicing Vincent's side. Vincent let out a grunt as a river of light began pouring from his open wound. His smile disappeared as he refocused on Thapto. The demons continued their chanting, although some had begun to peel away. Out of the corner of his eye, Vincent saw David in the physical world, approaching the center of the room. For a moment, he thought David could actually see him. From his communicator, Rand's voice cried out again in desperation. Vince, you've got to get out of there, now! Not yet, Vincent muttered to himself. The glow began to slowly rise up the base of the blade. Thapto suddenly noticed the transformation taking place on Vincent's weapon. His eyes lit up with fire that curled around his blackened skull. It is the spirit blade. I can feel its power from here. Oh yeah, Vincent said, his eyes narrowing. Tell me what this feels like. Light flooded from his wounds momentarily as Vincent shot into the air, soaring over his opponent's head. His blade, completely covered in light, came down before him, plunging through the top of the demon's skull and splitting down through his neck and torso. Landing behind the helpless Thapto with one hand still on the blade, Vincent closed his eyes and sent his rage barreling through his arm, down the blade, into the innermost part of the demon. In a single flash of light, the demon was transformed into an ashen effigy, then scattered by unseen winds into oblivion. The cheering demons, cowed by the defeat of their champion, turned and fled as David opened his mouth to speak. Invincible to the endless firepower around him, David turned to face the largest group of troopers while Rand shouted for the Liberation forces to evacuate. A wall of light flared into existence next to Rand as Vincent stumbled back into the physical world, unconscious. Rand quickly caught and supported his friend, gently laying him to the ground. Oh, Fritz, you really glitched yourself this time, didn't you? 
Rand pulled a small vial of blue liquid from his pouch and poured it over Vincent's chest. The liquid moved with a life of its own, thickening and spreading until it covered Vincent's body entirely. I know you hate this stuff, buddy, but I gotta put you in stasis, okay? Now hold still. Rand rolled his eyes at the absurdity of his request and then placed an emerald ring, no larger than a wedding band, on Vincent's chest. Then rising and stepping away, he watched as the ring warped space around Vincent. In a trick of the light, Vincent's body appeared to twist and reshape itself impossibly until it wrapped inward on itself, pulling Vincent into nothingness. With only the ring left on the floor, Vincent grabbed it and darted out through the corridor behind him. He could hear David shouting something as he ran. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. David's eyes continued to spin like green fire as the floor exploded around him, releasing pressured fountains of magma onto the battlefield. The troops tried to flee, but instead fell to the floor, tripping over themselves as though bound by something. Death came quickly to those on the floor as the molten rock washed over them. Others were not so fortunate. Wind blasted in from all directions, so fierce and hot that the remaining troopers' clothes instantly combusted. Several wearing heavy equipment screamed in agony as the superheated metal began to fuse with their skin. Of the dozen or so remaining, half leaped into the fiery pond to end their lives more quickly. The others evaporated instantly as a column of flame shot from David's outstretched hands, pummeling through them like some hellish freight train. The foundation of the building began to falter, and with the wrath of the Almighty satiated for now, David slowly walked out across the streams of fire. Merrick's heart nearly pounded out of his chest as he sprinted across the factory rooftop. Scanning his surroundings, he noticed that the warehouse hiding the Liberation was behind him, standing right next to the other side of the factory. The Shaden hadn't taken him far before he came to. Briefly, he thought of Vincent and ran, as the foundation of the factory noticeably shifted with each footfall, an explosive grumbling echoed up from below. Pipelines ruptured along the walls, venting steam and adding confusion to chaos. Although the acrid smoke blowing in from the warehouse gave little hope for the liberation, Merrick took advantage of the cover. Ducking in and out of plumes, Merrick kept the shade in guessing and allowed himself to catch a needed breath. Upon diving through the next smoke screen, Merrick rolled behind a stacking of steel barrels. Merrick quieted his breathing and lay in silence, waiting for some clue to his pursuer's whereabouts. Time froze as Merrick kept still and took in the sounds around him. A constant dripping sounded near the wall next to him, complemented by the continued hiss of steam. Somehow an oil line had broken loose and slowly coated the floor beside him. Better watch my step on the way out, he thought. He became almost comfortable pressing against the barrels, but finally when he sensed that the way was clear, he pulled on the floor in front of him and began to inch his way out from under cover. With the sudden ringing of metal, Merrick's coat sleeve was pinned to the concrete floor. Yanking his arm free of the sleeve, Merrick rolled out of his coat, avoiding a second blade aimed for his heart. As Merrick scrambled to his feet, the Shaden retrieved the two barbed knives it had used to pierce the floor. As it advanced on Merrick, the Shaden thumbed a switch on the butt of each knife handle, releasing the same mysterious black liquid Merrick had seen the throwing blade coated with. Uh, listen, Merrick reasoned as he backed away from the slowly approaching Shaden. You can't kill me. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I, I happen to know that I will not be dying today. He offered his palms in surrender. I mean, from what it sounded like, I'm not even going to need a tissue regeneration, you know? Like, ever. You don't sound very confident, boy. The Shaden almost seemed to smile with its voice. Well, I don't know how it is for you guys, but for humans, having poisoned knives pointed at you will do that to a person. 
impatient for victory, the Shaden lunged forward with its blades in a crisscrossing scissor swipe, just as Merrick slipped on the oil slick behind him. Missing him entirely, the Shaden sliced open a steel barrel stacked among the others. A pink liquid sprayed out under pressure, arcing safely over Merrick, who lay dazed on the floor, but striking the Shaden's left arm as it guarded its face. The Shaden screamed in annoyance as the liquid burned through its clothing, exposing an arm now bleeding crimson. Merrick took the opportunity and jumped to his feet, running again from his attacker. He was fearing less and less any serious harm from the creature, but did not want to be followed back to the others when he found them. A mere ten feet into his escape, Merrick was slammed to the floor as the full weight of the Shaden impacted like a torpedo. Both rolled across the floor in a struggle until they reached a drop-off point. The Shaden on top of him now, Merrick glanced over his shoulder and saw that the entire section of rooftop ended in an unfinished area of construction that dropped off down into the largest part of the factory. Just over the edge, Merrick could feel the steam from vats of boiling chemicals rising up as the stench burned at the inside of his nose. Okay, buddy, Merrick groaned, barely able to take in breath amidst the struggle for dominance. One last chance to give up. I'm not out to hurt you here, I just want to be left alone. You shall be left alone, the Shaden replied, a sinister song in its tone. Your rotting carcass shall stay here and feed the scavengers for weeks. Summoning all his remaining strength, Merrick kicked them both over the edge to plummet to the deadly vat of elements below. Caught on Merrick's shoe, a loose wooden plank nearby was yanked along with them, striking the Shaden and separating them. As the Shaden noisily ricocheted off of the outer lip of the boiling vat, Merrick found himself falling straight into the center of the container. Kicking vainly in the air, Merrick unwittingly tossed the plank underneath him, each end catching on an opposite side of the vat as he fell. Merrick landed on the last-minute support, scant inches from the liquid below. Shocked but still alert, Merrick crawled across the plank and jumped to the floor of the factory. Ten feet away lay the Shaden, its left arm horribly out of socket. It groaned incoherently and then lay still. Bending over, bracing himself on his knees, Merrick caught his breath and considered his next move. I hate this stuff, Vince complained as he began wiping the thick blue substance from his body. Not like I had much choice, Vince. What happened in there? Ran asked. Later. First, where are we? Vince demanded. He could feel something soft underneath him. A bed, possibly? But it was still dark outside and the room was poorly lit. A light came on behind them, flooding into the rest of the room. In my living block, Merrick said, emerging from behind the kitchen counter. I hope you guys don't mind synthetic. It's all I have right now. Merrick set down a tray of drinks for the others. Thank you, Merrick. David? Ran called into a dark corner of the room. A shadow shuffled its position, then stepped into the light. David squinted with tired eyes. Have something to drink, David. Ran gestured to one of the glasses on the tray. David crept forward and took a glass, then quickly retreated back into the darkness. What's wrong with him? Vincent asked. He acted on the will of God and sentenced nearly two hundred men to death, Ran answered gravely. He'll be all right. He... He knows that it was just, but he's still coming to terms with having seen it firsthand. Yeah, aren't we all? Merrick added. You speak as if you know what we've been through, outsider. Vince rose to a sitting position. 
I know all I want to know, Merrick answered defensively. For the last year, I've been crashing out of windows, dodging knives and pulse bursts coming from guys with markmanship better than anything in the United Military. He waved his arms, gesticulating, and paced across the room. Now I got some old guy who's not really old telling me about dreams that aren't really dreams, trying to explain how I'm some kind of outdated garden tool that's supposed to hack people to fritz and then drag them along behind me on some crazy crusade for what may or may not be the truth. It is the truth, Rand said steadily, trying to calm their host. You've seen enough to know that by now. Yeah, maybe, Merrick said, brushing his hair from his face and sitting. But if it's not... I'm going to be in lockdown for harboring fugitives of the law. Merrick turned to them suddenly, demanding, How long are you guys going to be here, anyway? Only as long as you'd like us to be, Merrick, Rand said patiently. Fritz, you, Rand, Vince started. He knows now. We can't let him out of our sight. Vincent pulled a pulse blaster from his pant leg and pointed it at Merrick. One move for the door, grid boy, and they'll be using synthetic files of you. Glitch, Vince, put that away, Rand ordered, lowering Vincent's arm with his palm. You'll get stasis gel jammed in the charging shaft, he added, hoping his hot-headed friend would respond to the logic. Grid boy, Merrick smiled in disbelief. You know who I am? Rand smiled. Vince used to use the fighting simulator I hacked from the mainframe all the time. I cleaned out a lot of the original Fritz that came with the program, but I had to keep the grid boy hollow ads in there for the program to run correctly. Vince looked at Merrick with disgust. I had to listen to that stupid song every time I started up the program, he snarled. Every time. The room went deathly silent. The three sat looking at each other, each one suspecting the other to suddenly explode. Quietly, a voice sang from the corner. Who's the boy that fixes every glitch? Grit boy. Grid boy. David, Vincent called without turning. Yesu can still use a prophet with one leg. Oh yeah, Merrick said, jumping to the next point. And just who is this kid, huh? I come back to the warehouse to find you running out with smoke coming off your back, Ran. He darted across the room, pointing. But two minutes later, when he comes out, his clothes aren't even warm. David recoiled into the fetal position in defense of the sudden attack. All evidence of his previous levity vanished as he looked into the eyes of his accuser. Glazing over, his gaze then retreated into the far corners of his mind. How is that possible? Merrick demanded, turning to Ran. That warehouse was a burning wreck. Ran shook his head in resignation. Merrick, I tried to explain that to you on the way here. You're wasting your time on this guy, Ran, Vince stated calmly. He looked at Merrick with a deepening contempt. Merrick balanced his glare with a reflection of it. No, he's not. I want to know what the glitch is going on here. Ran looked at his friend, then back at Merrick. Do you have a shower or a purge unit? Ever the peacemaker, huh, Ran? Vince shot to his feet. If you want me to leave, fine. Mr. Music is going to be just as lost either way, so don't get too attached while I'm gone. Vincent stormed off to the bathroom and slammed the door behind him. In the darkened corner of the room, David silently hid his face in his knees. Ran watched the bathroom door for a moment, then turned his attention to Merrick. Don't mind, Vince. He's still upset about Isaiah. A muffled cry rose from the boy on the floor. From the shadows, his soft moans continued to carry on, dampened only by the sound of the purge unit humming to life in the next room. We all are, Ran admitted. He paused for a moment, staring at the floor. Merrick was unsure of what to say or do, but was relieved of the responsibility as Ran continued. Isaiah, he started, just saying his name out loud again, made his eyes glisten in the damp light. He told you about the dream, didn't he? The one he'd been having for quite a while? Merrick hesitated. Yeah. Yeah, he told me. But it doesn't make any sense. You and your friends, 
You're all so passionate about your belief in this Yesu. He sighed and shook his head as he leaned back. Everything I know about him I learned just a few hours ago. How can a guy like me become such a central figure in what all of you are trying to do? I mean, I don't even think I'm ready to believe any of this, let alone act on it. Rand paused for a moment, carefully considering Merrick's words. I'm not sure how you will fulfill your role in all of this, or when, for that matter. But I know that you will. This Yesu of yours is an interesting god, Merrick smiled at his own observation. He seems bent on choosing the most incompetent people to do his work. Rand shrugged his shoulders. Makes sense to me. What better way to prove you can do anything than to purposely stack the odds against your success? As strange as it sounded to him, Merrick cocked his head and nodded in agreement. Of everyone he had met in the last 24 hours, Rand seemed to be the most level-headed. So, how did you get mixed up in all of this? Rand sighed and leaned back, his eyes becoming distant as he relived the past. Well... Vince and I have known each other for, oh, almost ten years now. Right out of the technologies program at the United University, I started working for Atlantis in the new technologies branch. Vince was the resident security and defense specialist. My staff built it, his staff protected it. Merrick leaned forward, curious of the idea. Protected it? From what? Corporate raiders, Rand answered, a little surprised at Merrick's ignorance. They became a real problem when Atlantis started doing business with the Silicate Foundation. The Shada began selling information regarding the building blocks of their technology. Radical new ideas that no one on Earth had even considered. Atlantis was quick to buy, at any price. The more new technology they got their hands on, the more Atlantis skyrocketed above all the other multi-corporations. And as you know now, technology is almost all that they deal in. Rand stood up and headed into the kitchen to refresh his beverage at the generator. Now, other companies that saw it happening but couldn't afford to compete as buyers hired raiders to either hack the system or physically enter the building to obtain schematics and program files. Vince and I designed an almost foolproof defense grid, so most raids had to be combated by actual physical means. Vince was transferred and promoted to a chief combat trainer for the elite group that would later become the Atlanta Shock Troopers. Merrick's eyes went wide. You mean that... Yeah... Rand confirmed. The same guys that broke in on us tonight, although their methods have become a little more direct in the four years since Vincent and I left Atlantis. Merrick saw a mystery behind Rand's eyes and probed further. So, why did you leave? Rand paused and took a drink from his glass as he sat down again in the chair directly across from Merrick. Setting his glass down, he leaned forward and whispered in low tones as though suspecting an eavesdropper. We found something. Something that no one is supposed to know about. He stopped, collected his thoughts, and continued. Vincent came into my office one afternoon a little over four years ago and showed me a program file he'd found while rewriting the security protocols for the incoming data streams. The file was sent by the Silicate Foundation, who had been selling Atlantis their technology. It went through to Claudius Falcor, the company's president, but was copied for standard examination by the security program. Normally, the copy would have been deleted after examination, but since the security program was in a transition phase, the copy it made was damaged and mistakenly coded over part of the security program itself. Vincent had to go in and extract it, a drawn-out process that inevitably ended with him seeing the entire file. Rand looked at Merrick, making sure that he was still following. Merrick raised his eyebrows, urging Rand on. The file revealed more than just a consumer-retailer relationship between Atlantis and the Silicate Foundation. For several months, they had been partnered in an underground business association. Merrick reviewed the idea in his mind. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Why keep it a secret? Because their partnership was in service to one objective only, and they didn't want anyone else to know that they have been putting all their efforts into achieving it. Rand stopped and looked at Merrick, smiling as though suddenly aware of what he was saying. 
This is going to sound really strange, Merrick. Stranger than being yanked through the ceiling by a suicidal alien ninja? Merrick asked sarcastically. Try me, Ran. Ran continued in mysterious tones. The sacred texts make reference to a tree that existed near the beginning of man's time on Earth. It was unique in that it displayed not just physical characteristics, but spiritual ones as well. Rand shook his head and waved his hand as though brushing a fly away. Now, that's not to say that it had a spirit, but when its fruit was eaten, it had both a physical and a spiritual effect on man. Whoever ate the fruit of this tree of life, if you will, would live forever. Their body and soul would both become completely indestructible. Merrick assumed he had misunderstood. What do you mean, indestructible? Just that, Rand replied, nodding. Undestroyable, incapable of dying. Atlantis and the Shada both believe that it still exists, somewhere on Earth. And for the last four years, they've been secretly pooling their resources in an effort to find it. What happened to the people who did eat from it? Merrick asked. I mean, shouldn't there be some immortal yahoos running around that they can get some directions from? Rand produced a data pad and brought up the file containing the pertinent texts. Actually, no, no one ever had the chance to eat from it. The only people that had access to it were expelled from the entire region. What? Merrick demanded sharply. What for? By who? By God, Rand responded quietly. The concept alone earned him Merrick's attention. As for why, actually it was more their choice than his. They had the perfect relationship with him, but decided there might be something more for them, something loftier. So in an effort to find knowledge that would bring them to a status equal to God's, they showed their deep-rooted desire to rebel. By searching for power and fulfillment outside of their creator, they were saying that they didn't need him anymore. As a result, most of humanity feels the same way today. Thankfully, the tree is hidden, and death remains to prevent the destruction of the world. Okay, Captain Paradox, Merrick raised a hand to silence Ran. You had me up until the whole death prevents destruction thing. Why don't you try breaking that one down for me? Rand paused and looked out the window, as if the words he needed could be found in the early morning starlight. Imagine, he started modestly, a person, any person, that would never have to worry about death. They would literally have all the time in the world to do whatever they wanted. Rand turned back to Merrick and focused on his eyes intently. Now add to that mankind's rebellious nature. Even the best of men, after centuries, would give themselves over to their lusts. After several millennia, the very concept of living and breathing for one more day would drive a man to insanity. In the end that has no end, you are left with unbridled evil in its purest form, an evil that will continue to destroy everything it comes in contact with, an evil that will never die. The two sat in silence as Rand watched the idea swim through Merrick's head. Then, leaning forward again, Rand finished his prophetic description. Now, Merrick... Imagine not just one creature like that, but billions of them. An entire planet overrun by diseased minds, each person unable to kill another, but living and breathing to inflict pain. And that's what you think Atlantis wants? Merrick asked skeptically. No, Rand set the data pad on the floor between them. Tapping a few more buttons, Rand conjured a holographic projection of news footage. Claudius Falcor, the corporate fat cat of Atlantis, could be seen stepping away from a podium at a press conference outside the main entrance to the Atlantis Incorporated building. Merrick bunched his brow as he took a closer look at his employer. When was this taken? Merrick asked. Less than a month ago. Why? Merrick looked again carefully. Hmm. Nothing. Not entirely the truth, Merrick realized, but for now, nothing he could pinpoint. Rand pointed to Atlantis Incorporated's gluttonous founder as he returned to the topic at hand. Falcor doesn't see the danger because he, like everyone else, 
lacks an understanding of man's nature. Men like him see everything in shades of power. That's all he sees at the end of this quest. Merrick had stood and begun slowly tracing a path back and forth across the room as he pondered the details, trying to put them in order. Stopping shortly at the end of Rand's statement, he turned to him. What did the Shada see? He knew he was nearing the aim of this discussion and forged on, illustrating his point. It's unlikely this fruit would have the same effect on their physiology. What do they have to gain by putting so much effort into a project that can't possibly benefit them in any way? Rand switched off the projection and leaned back, sighing. That's what we've been trying to figure out. And that's also why you are so important now to what we are doing, Rand smiled craftily. Merrick looked at him, puzzled, realizing he had a plan, but without any clue as to... Oh no, Merrick said defiantly. No, I'm done with Atlantis. Their connection to the Silicate Foundation is going to point me out as a fundamentalist in no time. I went there the other day to quit. Maybe, Merrick, Rand stood the data pad in his hand. But you didn't make it. Yeah, well, I would have if the glitching security troops hadn't tried to fritz me to next Tuesday. Merrick grunted and rubbed his eyebrows. That still doesn't make any sense. I mean, I know those guys are trigger happy, but they had no reason to... Merrick sat down, fading off, perplexed at the entire incident. It makes more sense than you think, Merrick. Rand came up behind him and dropped the data pad in his lap. He gently pressed an activation key. I found this on the way here. The screen lit up and began to play back what looked like security camera footage. Merrick was noticeably confused. The time indicator in the corner notated the precise time he had been heading to Mr. Falcor's office, and the camera displayed the same floor and hallway that he had been in. But it wasn't him on the camera. A man in his early 40s wearing military fatigues walked toward the receptionist's alcove. Merrick noticed something very familiar about him. Strapped across his entire torso were enough plasma charges to decimate a city block. In the man's left hand was a trigger mechanism attached to the array of explosives. His thumb was suspended over a small red button. Merrick knew it wasn't him on that playback. It didn't look anything like him, and Merrick didn't have any clothes that even remotely resembled what this man wore. But his walk... His face showed contempt and bitterness, but his stride was reluctant, lacking in confidence. His feet were dragging exactly the same way Merrick's had. His path lazily swerved back and forth, just like Merrick's had as he intentionally took his time on his way to resign from his position. It's you, isn't it, Merrick? Rand stated rhetorically. Merrick was completely aghast. But that's not... I mean, I didn't... Every trooper on duty described this man as the one they opened fire on. Look closer. Rand tapped a key, freezing the image on the data pad, and zoomed in on the mysterious bomber's face. It was Dirk Anderson, the man who had saved Merrick from a deadly 50-floor drop. That's impossible, Merrick shook his head in disbelief. He was still 20 stories below, waiting for me to drop. That's not what the troopers have sworn to, and that's not what the cameras saw. Merrick froze, speechless, while Rand continued to relate the truth of what he had found. The medtech that treated you at Silica General has no memory of you being there, and no one has sent or received any orders to obtain you for questioning. The case was closed when the troopers positively identified Dirk's body. They couldn't account for his change of attire, but they'd found their man, and that was enough. They assumed that he had grabbed you as a hostage on his way out from the 50th floor window and grabbed a preset line on the way down. Merrick lowered his head in reverence for the dead. All that just to give me a data crystal? No, Merrick, Rand assured him. It was Dirk's time. He'd been wanted for infiltration crimes for years. He was one of our best, but we all knew that if he exposed himself again, he would be caught. You are so close to Atlantis that even if he had approached you at home, he would have been caught. I believe he was being called home after fulfilling his purpose here. To give you the crystal and to keep you from resigning. Rand paused and looked Merrick straight in the eye, confirming his fears. That's right, Merrick. It's time for you to go back to work. 
You've been listening to the audiobook edition of Spirit Blade, written and narrated by Peter Franson, with music by Bjorn A. Lynn, Dynamedian Royalty Free, Unique Tracks, and Pierre Guvic Langer. To experience the groundbreaking, cinematically produced audio dramas based on this story, visit www.spiritblade.net. Thanks for listening. The future. A world where the quest for truth has ended. Although some of us are trying to keep it alive. Hey, Rand, do you think Vincent's okay? He's become more tense and distant every day since Isaiah died. I'll make sure we get back on track, even if I gotta save everybody from themselves. We've got our share of enemies. Hey, you get gun Take him down! Ryan, what is that thing? Look out! Surprise! We're looking for others to join us. What's with the blue robes? These guys wizards or something? Some Tafia are powerful weavers of miracles. We thought we'd found some allies. Encircle them, brothers. They cannot return with us to the village. And we must purify this place of their stain. We were wrong. Ready, brothers. Let's begin. Burn, ungodly filth! What do you want? To make you ours or to make you despair? Spirit Blade Productions presents. Did you have any idea how much I will make you suffer? The horrific agony that I will inflict. Spirit Blade, Dark Ritual. Hell will be a refuge for you when I'm finished.